You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Sarah Ackerman back on the show with me. She has an amazing new book. It's called Radar Girls, and uh, if you loved her book um, that we talked about the last time she was on the show, Island of Sweet Pies and Soldiers, you're really going to love Radar Girls. Uh, this is a, a really unique historical um a tale uh, about the World War II era, but um, the the thing that really makes Sarah's books uh, stand out in the crowd is her uh, attention to uh, well the the fact that her protagonists uh, are in Hawaii, and uh, that's something uh, a, a part of the story that gets left out a lot. And uh, you're going to love Radar Girls. I know you are. Welcome back to the show, Sarah. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you back. Um, Sarah, you know, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but over the last, um, you know, year, year and a half or so, the world has been uh, pretty crazy. And we've we've dealt with, you know, a worldwide pandemic and lockdowns and all of that kind of stuff. What uh, what has life been like uh, in the great state of Hawaii? Life in Hawaii, actually, um, I know that it it was really challenging because we are a tourism-driven state, and essentially tourism, well, it did shut down. And so um, a lot of people, I think we had maybe the highest unemployment rate in the country, um, which was very difficult. Um, And then at the same time, though, I think it was really... um, we had pretty low rates of COVID and we had the people here were actually really happy in a way to have their state pack and to be able to go to the beaches again and kind of enjoy the great outdoors without being it, it being overcrowded. So it's been kind of this interesting, you know, like divide, I think. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, how about you personally? Um, did, did you and your family fare okay? Yeah, we fared okay. You know, I was working as a teacher and then it's uh, being an author is actually pretty um, good job to have during a pandemic, except for the problem was for me, I was working on um, a novel. I was actually working on Radar Girls and I couldn't concentrate at all, you know, in the whole beginning part when everything was so uncertain and so kind of terrifying. I it was really hard for me to get words down on the page. So I try to write 700 to 1,000 words a day, and I was lucky if I could write 200 a day. So it, it really it kind of dragged out that for me. I, I've uh, I've met a lot of people who experience the same thing, uh, Sarah. That uh, you know, a lot of writers work from home already, and um, you know, so being told you have to stay home and stay away from everybody is not really that big a a deal for for I, writers. But the the mental aspect is is really where where the catch is, isn't it? Um, the, the there's just something about knowing 
you know, that this thing is going on out there that, that really takes a toll. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Sarah, you know, when the last time we talked, we we talked about um, your love of historical fiction. Um, how do you how do you keep coming up and, and uncovering these great, you know, real life stories that that springboard, um, you know, to great historical novels? How, how do you keep uncovering these unique little corners of history that haven't been explored? Well, I think it may be like other authors where I'm out, I'm, I'm doing a lot of research for my books. And so when I'm looking for, when I'm looking through materials or reading through all these books, I'll often come upon something else that will kind of make me sit up and think, wow, that is interesting. That could be a great story, um, which is what happened with Radar Girls when I was researching for The Lieutenant's Nurse, my second book. I came across the women's area defense and I kind of put that aside and then I tried to uh, work it into my third book, but it, it they were two separate stories. So I ended up just just waiting because I knew it needed the, you know, to be one singular focus. So I think it is just it's me finding this stuff while I'm researching for books for future books. Um. Because your uh, most everything that you write is based in Hawaii, um, and in you know we we all know the story of Pearl Harbor, and and how that really um, brought the U.S. into World War II, and and that was the kind of instigating factor. Um, I would imagine that since that time. Um, Hawaii has changed a lot, um, you know, with with tourism and and uh, I, I would think that the Hawaii of the 1940s was probably very different than the Hawaii of 2021. That's just mm-hmm. a guess. Um, how do you um, what do you do to to uh, help you get the feel of what Hawaii was like in those days? Mm-hmm. Uh, Well, I know some of it from just hearing stories from my parents and then remembering the stories from my grandparents and also, you know, kind of having grown up seeing old photographs everywhere of Hawaii um, and talking to people about it and and just kind of imagining it. You know, we have a lot of remote beaches and remote places still. And so I will, um, you know, I'll go to these, I I go to a lot of the settings in my book, even though, you know, it may be different now. But um, so I think just my imagination plus all of those other things I just mentioned, I think kind of bring it all together. When when you find out um, about the the real life radar girls, um, how do you then begin constructing a story around uh, around this this event or this uh, you know this certain people group that you discover how, how do you start finding the story in that that's a good question I was wondering that myself with this book especially because I had read um, the book the shuffleboard pilots which is written compiled by some of the wards and it's an amazing book and it has all their stories but to write an actual story with a plot is different, you know, than just kind of telling this whole story. And so I, um, you know, I usually try to come up with my main character uh, and who she is and what she wants or what she's running from and, um, and go from there. And I have to plot this out beforehand because I need to, um, 
give it to my publisher, kind of all plotted out beforehand. So I spend months just in my head, kind of going over these story ideas. And usually when I'm researching, I'll find one or two main points that kind of I think could drive a story. And so I'll have that being, you know, usually it's it's in a way it's an, an ending of sorts. And so I'll kind of create the story around that and and have it all leading up to this this point um, in my head. But you I said, to, oh, I'm I, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I used to be more of a, a pantser, you know, like I would write by the seat of my pants, not plot too much. But then when you get a publisher, you, they require a certain degree of plotting and knowing that it can change, but they want you to have it worked out beforehand so they know you at least have a plan. <laughs> that's that's important sometimes, yeah. isn't it? Um, especially when you're when you're dealing with other people's timetables and schedules and all of that sort of stuff. Right. Um, you said something that really jumped out at me just a second ago, Sarah. You said that when you're um, you know finding your main character, you know who she is, what she's running from. Um, that is. Um, how important is it um, when you're when you're developing a protagonist to have them have a problem um, that needs to be solved? And, and, and why why um, is it good for a protagonist to have some conflict? Well, I think that is one of the essential parts of um, creating suspense for a reader and also kind of giving them that emotional satisfaction that 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 they crave um like as readers we all crave that even though if we don't we don't know, may not be aware of it and so there needs to be some kind of conflict to to drive the story you know like what's going to happen how is this person going to change and um you know a lot of times that's people they sort of live vicariously through that i guess you would say um Sir, the last time we talked, we um, we talked about your um, your love of poetry and that you started writing um, as a as a poet. Um, how do you even though what you write now is 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 not poetry um, in the traditional sense? Do you do you feel like your time uh, working on poetry and your love of that um, seeps into your fiction writing and and maybe in ways that people wouldn't recognize? But do do you feel like that 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 was uh, uh, a good uh, tool to have in your tool chest? Wow, you have a great memory. Um, I do think it helps. And I I. um... I think it helps when I'm writing about the setting and the, the imagery and kind of the sounds and the sights and the, the tastes and the smells and um, all of that. That is important. And I think I've just, when I'm out in the world, I'm always paying attention to those. And I think maybe it stems from me having always, always written about those in poetry. Um, and maybe that does help. Because I do love setting. Setting is really important to me, um, and I want to. I like to create a world where people want to escape into, because that's what I like to read. For sure. Um, when you're writing historical fiction, uh, Sarah, there are, um, you know, there are events that it that are historical that that people can point to, you know, on a timeline that the, these things actually happened. Um, and even though you're you're writing fiction. Um, it has to be based around um, 
people and events that that actually were there. Um, how do you start constructing the fiction around, um, you know, things that are concrete? How, how do you create a fictional story um, with with characters that are completely made up? What are some of the anchors that you use to to ground the story, but then give you the freedom to create around it? Um, I think, well, place is one thing, obviously, um, which is very much grounding. It very grounds them to here in Hawaii. Um, so place would be one thing. And then, like you said, there's certain events. Um, you know, these women, for example, they were training in Iolani Palace, the, the palace here in Honolulu, um, during before they became the plotters. And so they were training there. And so... You know, I'll put them into this training um, scene in the palace. And, um, you know, I have to obviously have to do that. But I have my own characters and they're, you know, they're doing their own things and they have their own little personal issues um, or their fears or their whatever they're dealing with. And so um, I'll put them into that, that scene or that setting. Um, or another one happens to do with the, the pilots, the flights coming, they're guiding people coming in from, from Midway, you know. So I, I have that as a kind of a, an anchor, and then the women are doing their job around that. So it's like I have my own characters, but they're doing things that the real people did, actually. Right. It can be challenging, yeah. Looking for a tool to help you visualize your story before the drafting begins? PlotPens is cloud-based and optimized for any device. There's nothing to download. From the new writer who isn't sure how to tell their story to the veteran who can increase their productivity dramatically, we've had experienced writers lay out a detailed structure for several novels in a series in a matter of a few days. The app takes you through four steps of the process concept or logline. Make sure you have a solid concept that you can keep coming back to throughout the process. The outline, 12 beats and 3 acts, each has a description of what should be happening with examples. The board, 40 cards. We take the 12 beats and add sub-beats to those, breaking it down even further and being very specific about what should go into each. These also have examples and descriptions. Write. We take those 40 cards and turn them into a to-do list. For a 50,000-word book, it's about two cards per chapter, roughly. We have a beautiful editor built into the app. You can export your manuscript to a PDF anytime with the click of a button. Let PlotPens help you visualize your writing project. Use code HANK10 to get 10% off PlotPens. PlotPens.com Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20 or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website 
pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting, and we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. Tell me about the character of Daisy. Where did Daisy come from? And, and you know, what a, a great character. Um, but she she just kind of comes on the page fully formed and, and you you feel like there's a, this real sense of history with her and and a, a real connectedness with the with the place. Um, how did you develop her? Um, well, it's funny because a lot of times I'm not really sure about where exactly my main characters come from. Um, I, it's sort of like I do this daydreaming and then I'll take down notes then a daydreaming and kind of imagining like what kind of person would be good or what kind of, um, qualities in a character would be good for the story. Um, and maybe, you know, it could, it's, she's probably a compilation of people that I know, um, probably a little bit of myself and um yeah I'm always trying to figure out how to showcase Hawaii and its beauty and I'm a bit of an outdoorsy person and so I think those that kind of probably gets into all of my characters a little bit too but I think it's just it's a little bit of mystery is how they actually come up you know come into being well, one of the great things about Daisy is y- you have this backdrop of this um, kind of worldwide conflict, um, but Daisy has conflict of her own um, that is, uh, you know, sort of singular. That is, her her world is is much smaller and and has conflict of her own, you know, on top of all of this this bigger thing. Um, how did you start developing? Um, you know, not only Daisy, but the what Daisy's life was like and what her personal conflict was. Um, let's see. That's a good question. Um, sometimes, you know, again, I'm not sure exactly. I do. I what I used to be a school counselor, and I have a master's degree in counseling psychology, and. I've lived a long life. And so I think between all of that, it's it's somehow, you know, it just develops into the, this person. And it's a little bit of the magic of, of writing where it's hard to actually put into words, I think, how I develop the characters maybe. Um, but like, it's kind of like once I start, one thing leads to another, you know, she's this, oh, and then that would lead to that, and then, oh, that would lead to that kind of thing, if that makes any sense. Yeah. 
Um, the the women's air raid defense or, or wards. Um, what was that, and, um, and and how did you start, um, you know, educating yourself about these these women that that made such an impact? Mm-hmm. Well, the women's air raid defense. There wasn't a lot out there on them actually, um, and they are they were set up right after the attack on Pearl Harbor by an emergency executive order. And in the beginning, they were just told they were gonna be doing you know, critical secret work for the army um, and they'd be responsible for protecting Hawaii and their country um, you know, from further attack or invasion because radar was just in its infancy then. Um, and so these women were recruited uh, on Oahu and then the, they had radar stations on outer islands too, um, but they were they were essentially like air traffic controllers, and so they were plotting the the planes and and everything. And um, they were there was a book called The Shuffleboard Pilots. I think I mentioned that these women um, later wrote, which actually was the most helpful. Uh, it was like my Bible while while I was writing it because they had all these stories in it. And the women were amazing. I mean, they were smart and courageous and tough, and they were so much fun. They had such a great sense of humor. They had so all of their little stories, like, for example, there was the lingerie thief. Um, i I added into I tried to add into my book um, just to you know, to flush it out and make it real and use their stories, even though I had my own characters. Yeah. The so so what was their job um for for the people that haven't read the book yet what uh you know the um the attack happens um a lot of men uh leave to to join the um the 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 war forces and mm-hmm. uh there are a lot of uh, like like happened all ar- around the world um mm-hmm. There were a lot of things that were left unattended to, and and uh, women who had not normally done those jobs stepped up and and uh, you know courageously filled those spots, and and the the effort goes on. But what what was what was this particular job, and what what why was this so important to the war effort? So the women were actually in these this secret um, place at at Fort Shafter. Uh, they were. They started off on one place called Little Robert. That was the code name. And then they went to Lizard. Um, and they were these these command centers where the so there were six radar um, stations set up around the island. These were like mobile ra- radar units, kind of in vans and trucks. And we were um, and then there was men out there manning them. And then they would call in um the information of you know what they're picking up on the radar and so then the women were in the command centers and they would plot it was very complex so i'm if i'm making it sound simple it's not they would just plot um those planes they would track them um and also they would talk to pilots they you know say it was night the everything was blacked out here so there were pilots coming in and the pilots couldn't see the runways, everything's blacked out. And so the women, you know, they talk them in. Um, so they were kind of a, it was a really important job because because we did, the Japanese did come again in, uh, I think it was February and dropped a couple more bombs. 
Um, luckily, no damage was done, but, um, you know, and we had a lot of air raid sirens and, and people were, it was a terrifying time. And so these pe- these women were um, running essentially in charge of doing all the, the air traffic control, really, of the milit- for the military. I would imagine that um, a job like that was uh, – and the existence of, of the wards uh, themselves were, were kept um, pretty secret um, during this time because they're you know, protecting them and protecting the, the work they were doing would, would be of the utmost importance. Yes. When, when, did, um, when did this start kind of coming to public knowledge um, after the war and and why isn't this something that that we hear about more often it, it's you know until this book I, I'd never even heard of such a thing mm-hmm. yeah I mean it was top secret they weren't even allowed to talk about it with their family they weren't supposed to um, because you know radar and most people probably know about station Opana which is the radar station up here on the north you know on the north shore that did pick up the Japanese planes coming in that morning on December 7th. But it was so new that they didn't really know what to do with it. And they thought that they were the American planes. And so nothing, nothing happened. But, um, and so we had this new technology that was so powerful. And of course, we didn't want our enemy to know about it. And so these women were, um, you know, they were doing, they were, it was very top secret, but I'm not sure exactly when the information came out, to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly. With a character like Daisy that um, is, uh, you know, she has a very particular life when the when the book opens and and then through uh, becoming um, involved with the wards and the, the war effort. Um, how do you. How do you envision your characters post-war, um, and and what do you think that the the war effort did to Daisy and her friends? Well, I know that a lot of you know these women they a lot of them, they went back to their old lives, um, but I think obviously the war changed them. My grandparents, you know, I mean, just kind of going off knowing my grandparents and other older people here in Hawaii who were in the, or, you know, they were school principal and teacher during the war. Um, It was something that they always talked about, even 40 years later, you know, it was just the war never left them. And I'm sure that for these women, it didn't. And I know that many of them remained friends until, you know, until their dying day, they were close because this was almost, this was four years of, of working side by side in a very, you know, very stressful, important position, had a lot of responsibility. One thing that I loved about Radar Girls and and your other books as well is that in in the midst of of this wartime and and the upheaval and conflict, um, life is still happening for the characters. Uh, and and good and bad and uh, you know the 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 roller coaster uh, of the the hills and valleys that that all of us go through. Um, how important is it to 
to maintain believable characters throughout a global conflict like this to to show that the, the characters still have ups and downs and personal struggles and personal conflict and and uh you know happy times and sad times and 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 all of that um you know how do you construct life within um you know a a great upheaval like that yeah i think it's really important to show that because i believe you know between all those big battles and all those big events life does go on and people are still having to you know eat and go to work or or you know and and humans as we know they're social creatures and they they um and then we saw it in the pandemic too you know the younger people need to go out and they want to go out and they still want to you know have fun and um i think it's just really important to show the day-to-day as well as all the the high drama points um in it and so yeah that that's important to me and and i usually i get my ideas usually from reading firsthand accounts um from other people like i like i said in this book that i my my research book was full of things like the parties that they had and and they just had all these little anecdotes and stories um of fun stuff as well as you know talking about one of the wards whose husband is killed you know and um so i think it's important to put it all in there was writing a book about a world war um during a global pandemic. Did did you feel connected to the time period because of what we were going through? Um, of course, they're they're two completely different things, but a lot of the effects are are similar, I would think. Definitely, it was very interesting, very eye opening. You know, just even things like rationing, um, or you know, when we were kind of you go to the store and you'd see like, oh, you can only take one thing, a toilet paper or whatever, um, hand sanitizer. And so these things, and then also waiting to hear, you know, from the government and then the lockdowns and, and all of that, it was, I had never lived through anything like that. And it was a different kind of unknown, a different kind of enemy, but there were definite similarities. And, and I did, it did feel, I felt like it gave me a, a, a better insight into what, the people during World War II experienced. Sure. When when someone is reading Radar Girls and they get to the end of it and they close that back cover and and they're finished with the book, what do you hope they're left with, Sarah? What what do you hope lingers with them long after the book is finished? Um, well, with each of my books, I feel like it's something different. And it's not even necessarily that I'm conscious about well conscious while I'm writing it but I do think for this one I really think that the power of friendship is so important and I would love for people just to understand that and to I guess come away with appreciation for for the importance of friendship and how um, you know in their own lives their friendship need to they need to be nurtured and just that they get us through and and how just i guess how important that all is 
Absolutely. Radar Girls is available everywhere now when you're hearing this. There's going to be links to it in the show notes where you can grab it in Kindle edition or paperback or um, audiobook. Uh, have you heard any of the audiobook yet, Sarah? No, I haven't, but I'm very excited because Cassandra Campbell is narrating it and she did Where the Crawdads Sing and she is awesome. So I'm really excited to hear it. Oh, that's going to be fantastic. That's going to be great. Uh, we'll put links uh, to the uh, to Audible as well, where you can grab the audiobook if you prefer it that way. Sarah, um, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online? Um, I'm on Instagram at Sarah Ackerman Books, and I'm on Facebook at Ackerman Books. I have an author page, um, and then my website is ackermanbooks.com. So any of those places. Excellent. We'll put links there as well. Sarah, this has been so much fun chatting. We're going to send everyone to pick up their copy of Radar Girls. Thank you so much for taking time to come back on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Wargate Books presents Hit and Fade, Forgotten Ruin, Book Two, by Jason Onspach and Nick Cole, narrated for you by Christopher Ryan Grant. Chapter 1. The army of the dead walked straight into our ambush east of Fortress Hawthorne. That's what the fob is called now, Fortress Hawthorne. Despite it being officially known as Forward Operating Base Hawthorne, as was originally intended when the 50 detachments of various special operations groups came forward through time from Area 51. A one-way mission to save Western civilization from a rampaging nanoplague, destroying the very fabric of said civilization. Apparently, we overshot the temporal insertion point and stuck the landing. Sorta. About 10,000 years too late. Said civilization is now basically something straight out of Tolkien, or Dungeons and Dragons, which we've all now gotten a lot more familiar with thanks to our resident expert and fledgling hedge wizard, the infamous P.F.C. Kennedy. But the Rangers just call it the FOB. The first of our explosives to ruin the leading elements of the Army of the Dead advancing on us Claymore mines the recaptured forge back at Hawthorne had cranked out in the weeks after we'd retaken it from King Triton were fired by Ranger Sergeant Kang down there with the scouts and Captain Knifehand's assaulters. It was close to midnight when the front rank of bony warriors, carrying rotting shields and spears, eyes glowing malevolently in the deep night mist, advanced into our ambush only to get ruined by the daisy-chained Claymore's sudden eruption. Above us, a cloud-shrouded moon cast a wan yellow light over the battlefield. The night was hot, and spring was coming on full now. The pilots who'd gotten us here in the grounded C-17 back at Ranger Alamo, using their meteorology skills, had guessed it was going to be a long, hot summer ahead of us and an early one at that. But there was a cold shiver in the dark on your exposed skin that you couldn't quite explain when you saw the dead advancing rank after rank. The bone warriors carrying spear and shield, other darker creatures barely seen, 
The lower areas of the earth were graveyard cool and misty, so maybe that was it. Still, the brutal, unrelenting cold of our almost last stand back at Ranger Alamo was gone now. But not the horrors. There wasn't a night that some ranger didn't wake up out of a tormented sleep, breathing heavy, sidearms scanning the dark and looking for orcs and ogres to ventilate. I was sweating in the hour leading up to the attack, despite the night and the mist. Kurtz had us humping hard to get the 240 and all its ammo up to the top of a small hill that overlooked the area where we'd channel the advancing echelons of the Army of the Dead into further fun and games the rangers had planned at a bend in a riverbed. If the approaching Army of the Dead continued on their current course track, they'd enter it for a brief period. It was decided by the captain, we'd kill them there. And I was sweating. Not because of fear. No, not at all. Firing, whispered Sergeant Kang over the comm as he detonated the mines. And eight daisy-chained claymores spat thousands of steel balls all across the front line of what even I was still finding it hard to believe I was seeing through my night vision device. Skeletons. Warrior skeletons. Ancient warriors like something out of the Bronze or Iron Ages. Worked breastplates of molded plate or rotting scales. Green and tarnished, stamped with the markings of fabled armies fallen in battles long, long ago. Leather cuirasses on some. Rotting boots. Helms with broken horns, missing teeth, tattered leather kilts, beads and charms dangling from bone wrists, enigmatic holy signs and primal torques black with grave dirt or from a funeral pyre long ago on some forgotten battlefield far from here, draped about the spine where the throat should be, where it rises to connect to a bone-white skull that seems filled with malevolent purpose and diabolical intelligence malignantly so. Walking skeletons like something out of a Ray Harryhausen clay model Sinbad epic from the 1960s. Above, the sliver of moon gave enough light to strengthen our NVGs, making the night vision devices perform exceptionally well as we sprang our trap and watched the advancing elements get rocked by our initial high-explosive opening bid in the game we were about to play. The air was still and hot in the moments before the fight began as we lay there in the tall, sharp grass, waiting for it all to go down. I was thinking a hot cup of coffee would be nice about now, except my canteen only had cold coffee I'd brewed during the long, silent, and windy afternoon of preparation. Still, I was happy knowing I had some rather than none. Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no farther than Pico's House. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, 
copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started.